Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode number 140 of ADHD for Smartass Women. You know, there is one topic that our listeners have requested a podcast on more than any other topic over this past year. And I suspect that it might have something to do with COVID. That topic is ADHD in relationships, specifically intimate relationships. At least once a week, someone messages me asking for a podcast on this. In fact, this week I heard from Lori Ann, who I believe is a therapist, and she said this, what about the spouse who isn't ADHD? How do you help them cope? My partner is luckily very supportive, but many are not. This topic needs serious attention. You're right, Lorianne, it does. So for a while now, I knew that it was time for me to research this. Many months ago, I started asking around for recommendations, and the name that consistently came up was Melissa Orlov. So I bought her book, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, and there I spotted the foreword that was written by one of my favorite humans and my go-to medical expert on everything ADHD, none other than Dr. Ned Hallowell. And as you can imagine, Dr. Hallowell says a lot in this foreword about Melissa, but this is what truly caught my eye. Because she does not have a degree in medicine or mental health, Melissa at times wondered whether she's qualified to write this book. From her humility emerged her tenacious dedication to the task of learning everything she possibly could that might help others. As I've stated, she now is far more expert than most experts. But she also has what few experts have. She has the benefit of her own suffering. She has the benefit of having weathered the worst kind of storm. She has the benefit of having lived what she's talking about, and she has the benefit of having prevailed. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know how convinced I am that our best purposes give meaning to our past. And when we're in the middle of our purpose, no one can touch us. There is no one that is more expert or talented. There is no one that is better. So I immediately sent a message to my incomparable podcast producer, Grace, and I said, we need to get Melissa on this show. And she said, 
Tracy. I already have her scheduled. So the stars aligned. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Melissa Orlov. Melissa is the founder of ADHDmarriage.com. She is a marriage consultant, a top expert in how ADHD affects relationships, and an award-winning author who's been interviewed frequently on the topic of ADHD and marriage by organizations as diverse as the New York Times, CNN, and the American Psychological Association monitor. Melissa teaches couples, therapists, counselors, and coaches about how ADHD impacts relationships, and she offers seminars, consulting, and support groups for couples who wish to improve their ADHD-impacted relationships. Melissa is the author, as I already mentioned, of The ADHD Effect on Marriage, which was awarded Best Psychological Book by Forward Reviews, Her latest book with Nancy Kohlenberger, The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD, has won three book awards, including Best Psychology Book of 2014. Melissa is a graduate of Harvard College whose hobbies include road biking, singing, and playing cello, and she lives just outside of Boston with her husband of 26 plus years. Melissa, welcome. Did I get all that right? You did, except I've moved. I have to update my biography, I guess, but I'm out in the Southwest now. But yes, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. So I played the cello when I was a teenager. (laughs) I wasn't very good at it. In fact, my parents had a rule that all of us had to play string instruments. There were four of us, actually any instrument. Well, it couldn't be the drums. It could be the piano or the strings. And I tried the piano and I hated it so much and I was so bad at it. So they said, okay, all my siblings were playing the violin and there were two sisters who taught violin and one taught cello. So I was able to take the cello. But what I would do in the morning, we'd have to get up at six in the morning and practice for an hour. I would literally record myself on one of those old tape recorders and then I would jump back into bed. (laughs) So I love that story. Say, I never got very good at it. Do you still play? Well, as a matter of fact, I took it up as an adult. So ah. not that many years ago, I used to play violin and uh, uh-huh. other instruments and um, decided I'd always want to try the cello. So I took it up and I'm having great fun with it. Actually, anybody who thinks that they can't start an instrument as an adult is uh, is wrong. Of course you can. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun to try. It is just, I mean, it's such a sad instrument, but it is so beautiful compared to the <laughs> violin, right? Which is high squeaking sounds. Yeah, it's really lovely. So I want to know, how did you become, well, I kind of know because I read your book, but I know our audience doesn't know. How did you become interested in ADHD and relationships of all things? Well, so a number of different ways. We have ADHD in our family. I don't have it. My husband does. My daughter does. And I was working not related to the family issues with Ned Hallowell, which you mentioned before. And so all the stars kind of aligned, actually, in terms of realizing, hey, all this struggle that I've been going through in my relationship actually seems to be related to the ADHD. And back when I was thinking about this and working with Ned, which was the early 2000s, uh, there was really very, very, very little out there on it. So I said, well, gee, I, you know, I think I'll go share my experiences with folks. I started a blog and the thing took off. The website got so 
busy and with so many pages, I said, well, I better write a book because nobody's going to be able to um, get through this information. So I wrote my first book and that took off. So there's just been a ton of interest in it. And I've been privileged to be sort of at the cutting edge of uh, learning about uh, what the impact of ADHD is on adult relationships and, and also really importantly, what you do about it. So when you started working with Ned, were you already married and kind of had gone through some struggles or was this even before? Because, you know, one of our rules here is that I only interview women with ADHD, but I want to make it clear we're breaking that one here. But I (laughs) do know that from reading your book that your daughter and your husband both have ADHD. So I'm trying to figure out which one came first. Were you already working with Ned Hallowell and then you got married and like, where no, did the ADHD piece come in? No, I no, we had been married. Uh, okay. And we knew at that point that my daughter had the ADHD, so I'd been working with her on it for a while. Um, very com- As is common, I like to joke that my husband and I have been completely average in all things that have to relate to our relationship. <laughs> we didn't know about my husband's ADHD at that point. It, that became more clear after I started working with Ned and, and really we, he was giving um, therapist training seminars at the time. And so I was taking those because I was the moderator. And then it became more clear. And finally, I said to somebody, is there any chance that my husband has ADHD? And my daughter's therapist said, well, yeah, of course he does because it's hereditary. You know, it's like, oh, oh, okay. So it explained a lot of stuff, but there, again, there was nothing out there. So we did a, a lot of the sort of experimentation. What happens if we try this? What happens if we try this? Is it true that the real problem is my anger? You know, what happens if I'm really nice to him? And uh, we did all of that sort of stumbling around. So can I ask you, Melissa, you were literally in the middle of this whole ADHD world, but you never considered that maybe your husband might have ADHD, like it just never even dawned on you? It's strange, isn't it? I mean, you know, back then, adult ADHD did not really get much press at all uh, until the mid-2000s when Ned wrote Delivered from Distraction, which was more about adult ADHD. So people weren't thinking about it nor were they thinking about sort of the geological part of it where you were talking about families with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I mean, I, I just, it, what I couldn't figure out. So my husband and I have had a very strong sort of core connection and I couldn't figure out why it was so difficult <laughs> to, to have this relationship um, feel better than it felt. There was just all this stuff. He, he was chronically distracted. I was angry. We had all the classic issues going on. And uh, it just didn't make sense. And so that was, yeah, I kept searching. And then as I learned more about ADHD, it became more obvious. Um, At least I started asking that question. So then he went in to get a diagnosis and an evaluation and in fact was diagnosed with it. And it's very clear in retrospect, his mother was wildly ADD. So, you know, that's where it came from. So. Wow. So it started with personal experience, wanting to figure this out for yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, and we didn't, you know, we got very, very close to divorcing at that point. In fact, we had sat our kids down and said, we think, you know, this may not work. And, and then soon after that, we sort of figured this out and we said, okay, this is worth looking into um, and figuring out whether this changes things. And it did. And it does for um, many, many couples um, really change the dynamic because once you start to understand what, you know, what's a symptom of ADHD versus you know, somebody doesn't love you or something, 
it's a completely different ballgame. And of course, there are a lot of things known about what can help adults manage ADHD better um, that you can start to apply to what the habits are that the ADHD partner brings to the relationship. And the area where I I think contributed the most was, and what does the non-ADHD partner mm. contribute? Uh, because it's not just about the ADHD partner in any way, shape, or form. Yet I bet we like to, well, and I'm ADHD, but I would think the non-ADHD partner would just love to blame everything on the ADHD partner if you were just like this, like everybody else, right? <laughs> well, for sure. And and so there's a, a really the most common pattern of mutual denial is you have the non-ADHD partner saying, you know, if you would just fix the ADD or fix the behaviors, if they haven't yet identified the ADHD, everything would be fine. And you have the partner with the ADHD saying, if you would just be less critical and less angry and nice to me, accept me for who I am, everything would be fine. And the reality is in the middle somewhere. And and a lot of that has to do with understanding the ADHD. Both partner need partners need to bring a better version of themselves into that relationship so that um, the relationship can thrive. Okay. So let's back up a little bit so we can kind of lay that foundation. Your book is called The ADHD Effect on Marriage. What is the ADHD effect on marriage? So in a nutshell, the the elevator version (laughs) is that the ADHD symptoms are definable. Because if you have these symptoms, you are defined as having ADHD. So the number one symptom of adult ADHD, as an example, is distractibility. That doesn't mean that's the only symptom, but that's the number one. And so there are certain things that those symptoms bring to the relationship which are at odds with how people think of a relationship typically. I'll use distraction as an example If you have a partner who is chronically distracted, which is what happens uh, for most people who have ADHD, it means they're not paying a lot of attention to you all the time. You sort of go in and out of their focus and they're doing whatever they're doing in the present moment um, and enjoying themselves potentially. They know how much they love you, but how you feel about it on the receiving end as the non-ADHD partner is, well, gee, that person's not paying very much attention to me. Something must be wrong or they don't love me or... um, you know, it doesn't feel right. And so there are patterns, very specific patterns that develop because of the presence of the symptoms and a lack of knowledge, being able to differentiate between symptoms and willpower and, um, you know, other things. And so then the responses to those symptoms create uh, negative patterns uh, between them. You know, there's anger, there's confusion, there's putting the person down or berating them or trying to control them. And so that doesn't help. Um, No. We don't like to be controlled. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, and so one of the dynamics and totally understanding, in fact, most of the people who come, 95, 98% of the people that come find me have this pattern writ large in their relationship is what I call parent-child dynamics where the more organized ADHD partner, if you have two people, or more often the non-ADHD partner, um, is sort of the relationship manager. And that extends to the person, the ADHD person, um, because, and this is a, a defensive mechanism because of, again, ADHD symptoms around having difficulty 
following through on things or getting organized or being timely or some of those things that go along with ADHD, the other partner, the life, their life is a lot more chaotic than they expected. So they start to manage everything and ma- including managing the partner. It's a very negative dynamic. It's incredibly unromantic. <laughs> I uh, can imagine. Yeah, no, it's terrible. And you end up with, uh, um, you know, not partners who don't really like their roles. You have a manager who doesn't want to be a manager. They want to be a partner and they really want their partner to step up more than they feel they are doing. And, and you have the person who's the ADHD partner saying, gee, I feel like a child. You treat me disrespectfully. I never, you know, you never really listen to what I want or, or you know, and, and it just goes south. And that's one of the most common things. And when you know about that pattern, then you can fight against it. But that's a classic. There are a bunch of patterns. That's one. Problems around chores, problems around understanding the symptoms, et cetera. I would think, too, that if you don't know it's ADHD and the whole time you're just thinking my partner is a jerk, right? They're doing it on purpose. Yeah, that's what Ned Hallowell calls the moral diagnosis of ADHD. And it's inaccurate and it's sad when it, when it happens, you know, my, my partner is incompetent or my partner is a jerk or my partner doesn't love me or, you know, my partner is rude because they keep interrupting me or whatever that moral diagnosis is. It's, it's very um, hurtful. And, and our, our manifestation of that was just saying, this does not make sense. You know, and it didn't because we didn't know about the symptoms. Once we did, then we could start to address them better. So once you knew it was ADHD, how did you then feel? Did did you feel any guilt about, oh my gosh, he, you know, I thought he was doing this intentionally and I <laughs> you know, I didn't think he was doing it intentionally. I just wasn't sure why he was doing it. Uh, no, I you know, it's funny. I was so angry at that point, <laughs> which is pretty common. I didn't yeah. feel a lot of guilt, <laughs> but I did feel some <laughs> relief because I was like, "Oh, okay, here's a path." that we haven't explored and that I actually have some knowledge about. And so it could be a good thing. But of course, the, you know, the first thing that happens is that you go to the ADHD partner with something like that, and they think you're trying to blame them. And then that's a negative for them because they know, they know how angry you are. They don't want to take on all of the blame for the relationship having a problem. And so you have to be really careful about that. So, yeah, no, I I didn't feel a lot of guilt, but I did feel a little bit of hope, Ah. which was good. Did that change the dynamic immediately or was there still tons of work then to do? There is a ton of work. And of course, we didn't have any roadmap, right? At least Mm -hmm. the people who are trying to do it now, there's a roadmap. (laughs) They They can work through it. But we had none of that. So first there was the battle over, do you want to treat the ADHD? Do you want to try medications? Do you want to, you know, do some other things to manage it better? And my husband was saying, look, you know, the problem isn't me. I like myself fine. Your pro- the problem is you because you don't like me. You know, so it's like, no, it's not that I don't like you. It's that, uh, that I, you know, it's, it's really hard to live like this. So, and I wasn't as nice to him as I could have been because I was so angry at him all the time and resentful of all that seemed to be coming my way um, and how he was treating me very sort of in and out, uh, if you want to think of it that way. Sometimes, you know, attention, attention deficit is not actually about an attention deficit. It's actually about attention dysregulation. And so sometimes he was exceptionally attentive, which I loved and lapped up and resembled our courtship. And then Sometimes he, you know, I could have been 
like on the moon, he wouldn't have known. <laughs> you know, so, just like Which I can imagine as the non-ADHD spouse, how confusing that would be because it's not consistent. Yeah, it's very confusing. And some of that stuff also comes around. So part of the ADHD way of being in the world is because it's sort of a, it's a reward focused brain. In other words, the dopamine, low levels of dopamine is partially what's going on, largely what's going on with ADHD. Um, Dopamine is part of the reward circuit in the brain. So that brain seeks dopamine. It seeks things that feel good, that are interesting. It's a very present moment. And so that some of the stuff that has to do with everyday living, particularly after you have kids, is not rewarding. It's boring or sometimes even worse than boring. And so a lot of the um, arguments that we were having were around his participating in the relationship as a partner um, versus sort of just leaving it for me and expecting I would, you know, I would do it all which was problematic um, for me because it was very difficult for me to fill that role as completely as I wanted to or as he wanted me to more accurately. So what was the next steps? What do you do in a situation like this? Well, what we did is we experimented. I'm kind of tenacious. That's an understatement. (laughs) And so we did a lot of experimentation. Um, And some stuff worked. Some stuff didn't work. Um, he did try medication, um, and he found one that worked for him, which was a tremendous help. One of the issues that he had was around emotional dysregulation, and um, that was difficult. Uh, he would he got uh, easily triggered, and so I think in some ways the medication played a big role for us um, in the, keeping the relationship intact and. Um, it helped us, uh, uh, you know, approach more calmly what was going on and working on it. So, you know, I give him credit. He also wanted to to um, make things better. It wasn't just me. So we worked on it together. Some stuff worked. Some stuff didn't work. We picked what worked. We, <laughs> we broomed the stuff that didn't work and uh, just kept pl- plugging away. And um, eventually things got better. The, the book refers to we've had some um, ups and downs for sure. And uh, it's not always a consistent pattern, that's for sure. You know, I would think that probably the emotional dysregulation would be the hardest part because I think we can all forgive someone who's, you know, consistently late or someone who's distracted, but when they're angry too, and then you're angry as well, like how do you even bridge that? What if medication doesn't work? Yeah, well, then there are other things you have to take a look at. You can do therapy. Um, to figure out what's underneath that emotional uh, feelings. Is that something that's psychologically based or is it chemically based? And um, you can you can get more sleep. You can do things. So you can learn to meditate. You can learn mindfulness. There are things that you can do for emotional regulation. What you have to do first, though, is decide that it is what you want, that you want to bring a better version of yourself to the relationship. You know, sometimes people say it doesn't, you know, I'm okay the way I am. You, it's you that needs to accept me. And I try to remind couples, and this is for both partners, because the non-ADHD partners have their own anger and and, uh, resentment issues and other things they tend to bring, is that there is a bottom line to a healthy relationship. It's not a gray area. There, you have to have a certain level of respect and honesty and um, engagement in that relationship for it to be a healthy relationship. And if you don't have it, 
then, you know, okay, you need to be elsewhere, essentially. And so the, what I try to do is challenge couples to, um, to get above that sort of bottom line. And that means getting out of that parent-child dynamic that I talked about, because that's not a respectful dynamic, typically. It means managing ADHD um, symptoms that are getting in your way. I'm not talking about becoming a zombie. I'm talking about bringing the best of you forward, not just at home, but at work and everywhere else in your life. Um, it's about the ADHD, uh, the non-ADHD partner learning to um, be more flexible, um, taking care of their own health issues if they've got them, um, uh, learning mindfulness, learning how to not respond to every single incident, but rather look for patterns that are worthy of talking about because they're important um, versus just, hey, that's annoying. You know, things like that. So have you seen a lot of success with treating emotional dysregulation when, let's say, medication just kind of makes it worse because it increases anxiety? So non-medication options? Well, so I've seen a lot of success with couples in general. Um, mm -hmm. I would say some of the medications will increase anxiety. A lot of them don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's such a broad array of medications that lots of times, not always, lots of times people can find a medication that will at least help them. But the mindfulness, the, the downside, the mindfulness and the meditation stuff do seem to really help ground people when they're able to learn them and turn it into a discipline. The question is whether they have the, you know, if they're hyperactive or something, it can be harder <laughs> Uh, to do that. But yeah, I mean, those things do work for some portion of people. You know, ADHD comes in a lot of, it has the same symptoms, but it has a lot of variations, both in terms of severity and also in terms of coexisting conditions. Uh, depression and anxiety are um, common coexisting conditions. And anxiety is particularly difficult to deal with because it's so highly emotional, highly irrational, and you tend to make bad choices when you're feeling anxious. So that's one that people really have to look into and also manage or treat. It sounds like what you're saying, and this makes perfect sense though, the first step is you both have to decide that you want to fight for this. If you have one person who really wants to fight for it and the other person doesn't, it's not going to work. Well, that's right. And in fact, what I, what I like to say, what I say in my seminar is it is not ADHD that causes divorce. It's denial that causes divorce. The denial that you have a role to play and that, um, and that you should, you know, you should manage your own business better. So either partner can go into that denial. And if that's the case, your point is right that it's not, there's not much hope for that relationship being happy. I'm curious, um, Laura here in our Facebook group, you know, I posted asking for some questions for this particular podcast. And she said, my husband and I are like yin and yang. He's completely opposite me. Is this possibly something I looked for subconsciously? Most of my exes are also opposite me. In your experiences, this kind of was a segue from what it, what it was you were just talking about. Do you find that most people with ADHD seek out partners with ADHD or are most of them one's ADHD and one's not? Well, statistically, there are a lot more people without ADHD in the world. So just from that standpoint, you're going to have a lot more non-ADHD, ADHD combinations. 
but there are dual ADHD couples. Um, you know, there's a saying that has nothing to do with ADHD, which is that opposites attract. And I remember when I first met my husband who in the courtship stage, there's a lot of extra dopamine. He was the most attentive person I have ever um, known, <laughs> which is ironic, but that's a very common experience, actually. This is just hyper-focus attention. Uh, in fact, I, we call it hyper-focus courtship. Um, was amazing. Um, but I loved the energy that he had. I loved his willingness to spontaneously go do things. Um, I loved that he was um, upbeat, somewhat cocky, very complicated person. There were a lot of things that attracted him. And he liked my steadiness. He liked my calm um, demeanor, you know, lots of things that were different from him. So um, we definitely had a lot of things um, different, but we also shared a lot. I mean, in terms of values and, and sort of what we wanted uh, out of life and, and our education levels and things like that. So um, there were, there's both uh, differences and similarities. When we're struggling, we tend to p pay more attention to the differences, um, but the similarities are still there, even if they're in the background. Have you observed that couples where there are two ADHD spouses versus ADHD and a neurotypical, are they easier or do they all have the same, you know, they have problems, maybe just different problems? It does. It is different problems. And in some of that depends upon the severity and the place where the people are. What I observe is that um, if you have one person who has ADHD and who has been managing it effectively for a while, there can be some frustration with the partner who is not managing it as well or who's new to the managing ADHD process. And so there tends to be some of that same sort of parent-child thing going on. There's a ton of stress in the dual ADHD relationships, or there's potential for stress around the execution of stuff that needs to get done and interest in it. Um, so you, you, you might have a dual ADHD partner where one partner says, gee, I'm just not at all interested in chores, for example. Um, don't like to do them. Don't know why anybody does stuff like that. Uh, sort of not on my radar. And the other person doesn't just say, okay, that's fine. I can do all that stuff. For the other person, that's a real burden because the chores are hard for anybody who has ADHD or almost anybody who has ADHD. And so it's an additional burden. I mean, I, you know, the dual ADHD couples that I work with, one of the first things I say is if you can afford it, you need some housekeeping help just to get some of that stress out of the relationship because you have other things that um, you'll want to attend to. And sometimes that help, ex you know, can extend, again, if people can afford it, to getting some administrative help um, of some sort. I talk about this all the time, too, and I, I have people tell me, well, I can't afford it. Like, you can't afford not to do it. Just the well, waking up every morning, right, and all that negative emotion over and over and over again. How do you think that impacts finances, you know, right. over time? Well, and, and you, know, I, I, you know, I liken it to car insurance. It's not really optional for a dual ADHD couple. You have to have it, and you just have to figure out how to budget it unless you just really have no assets whatsoever or no ability to do it whatsoever um, because it will br literally bring down a relationship, that kind of additional pressure, which is 
easy to delegate. There are other things that are much harder to respond to, like the emotionality or difficulty communicating or fear that you might have or self-image issues or things like that. Those things are much more difficult to navigate. So bringing yourself down over stuff that you can actually delegate to somebody else is not where I would, I would, you know, I would, the housekeeper to me or the, the help is, is well, well worth the investment. And I would think even in the couples where there is one person with ADHD and one neurotypical, just this idea that you're not stuck with it all, you know, just because you can do it, you're the one who's, you know, has to do all the housework. Like that would suck. Yeah, it does suck. And that's, that's what I call the chore wars. Um, And it's part of the organizing thing. There's this desire typically on the non-ADHD partner um, to say, you need to help out. And uh, I can't handle all this. It becomes overwhelming, actually. And, and a huge well of resentment starts up. And resentment is a very long burn emotion. It's hard to get rid of. And it's really negative. You start sniping at each other. You start insulting each other. And the other partner's like, I don't need this. And they, they disappear, essentially. They stop, either they fight or they escape. And either one of those two coping mechanisms hurts the relationship further. If they escape, then the pursuing partner goes after them more because they still want the help. If they fight, uh, things are going south as well. So so that's the kind of pattern. Um, I call that symptom response response. There's a symptom there, which is ADHD symptom of having difficulty engaging with things that are uninteresting or that are hard to do or whatever. There's a response to that, which is you should be doing this. What's wrong with you? a negative anger response. And then there's a response to the response from the ADHD partner saying, stop being angry at me. You know, why are you so mean to me? And then they just start fighting about the fight uh, rather than addressing the uh, core issue, which is how do we create a system in our household that acknowledges our strengths, allows us to engage with the things of life that need to be engaged with in a way that feels good to both of us. That's actually the issue. That's part of the strength of understanding ADHD. If you know ADHD is there, you know why this stuff is going on, and you can start to look for the strengths. You know, what is it that is interesting? I mean, even simple stuff like a woman with ADHD um, told me one time her trick for cleaning up the kitchen is she sets a timer for 10 minutes and she races it. She gamifies it. Yep. And, uh, And in so doing... Uh, suddenly it's in the middle of her strengths, which is, you know, beating the clock and, and, and having yeah. fun. So simple stuff like that um, is, can be very helpful. But again, you need to know that the ADHD is there because typically you wouldn't necessarily pick a race the timer strategy um, <laughs> if you didn't have ADD, right? So this segues beautifully into Libby's question, which is when both partners have ADHD, how do you divide household labor and keep a functional home? Assuming that, okay, you're already getting a housekeeper, right? But they're not going to be there all the time. So then what do you do? Well, I don't think the process is different. I think you just have to be more compassionate about the total quantity of what you can manage. ADHD is not necessarily the you know efficient way of being in the world and and efficiency I, you know people put way too much stock on efficiency as far as I'm concerned rather than quality you know compassion and love for each other and etc you still have to sit down and figure out what's really important to us and how do we get it done and 
one of the strategies is to not say that you have to do everything that your neighbors do. Another is to not be embarrassed by carpooling or whatever uh, makes your life. You know, you don't have to drive to every soccer game. You can carpool with three people and drive to every third one and save some time and effort. Uh, you don't have to sort all the laundry col- into colors, maybe, uh, if that's what you decide. Maybe uh, you can sort the laundry, you know, just do loads of laundry and, and not buy things that run. I mean, you know, there are, are ways to accommodate the less efficient way of doing things. I mean, there are lots of books like uh, ADD Friendly Ways to Organize Your Life is a really great book on strategies for time management, organizational skills, um, you know, et cetera. Um, and then focus on what's really critically important to you. I mean, one of the things I think ADHD people often suffer from is feeling they have to do it the same way as everybody else, or that there's some expectation and that they have to be a certain way in the world. And they don't, you have to do basic stuff like pay your bills to keep your lights on and make sure your kids stay healthy. But a lot of the stuff that we beat up ourselves about is not necessarily productive. So it sounds like the key really, I mean, it doesn't really matter how you organize it. It's more about coming together as a team rather than, you know, she should do that or he should do that or she should, you know, they should do that, right? Yeah. And it's also for the ADHD partner, it's also about um, executive function skills. So I do sometimes say to, to people with ADHD, look, why don't you go work with a coach? who can help you learn what the strategies are that you need to, to use in order to do the things on time what, or do the things at all um, that you have decided you want to do. Um, if you just go forward and say, well, I can't do any of this stuff and I've never been able to pay a bill on time, that's not really useful if neither one of you can pay a bill on time. Somebody has to figure out how to do it. So executive function training is useful and flexibility is useful as well. And I, I think that the other thing that I talk to couples about when you're setting up chore stuff, whether they're both ADHD or just one has ADHD, is you set up a regularly scheduled meeting of some sort where you're coordinating with each other rather than one person is dictating and always in charge. And that's important for getting out of parent-child dynamics. It's also important in terms of not being overseen by the more organized partner. You want the meeting to be the thing that you're reporting back into, not your partner. And the meeting um, then becomes the place where you say, well, you know, I know I said I was going to do this on Tuesday. I wasn't able to do it. So I'm going to change that to Thursday. I'm going to do it between 8 and 10 or whatever the discussion is that you're having. Um, And if it turns out that, you know, three times in a row you miss your stuff, then you got to look at it and say, okay, what skill am I needing to strengthen here? Or am I giving myself too much to do? Or is this, you know, whatever, you you investigate it, you learn from it. And the meeting becomes the place or the way to learn from it. Otherwise, the more organized partner is constantly in oversight mode. And it's an anxiety-producing way of uh, being in the relationship, constantly being in charge, constantly overseeing, constantly wondering whether a partner is going to do something as they suggested they were. It doesn't feel good to either partner. Nobody wants to be overseen either. So what's the word that you're using, overseen? Yes, the partner doesn't want to be monitored. Ah, okay. So again, it's that parent-child dynamic, right? The reporting back to the parent. 
Okay. Right. So, so setting up a system, uh, some kind of regular check-in. Some people do this daily. They sit down in the morning and they go, what am I going to do today? As part of their setting up their plan for the day. Um, and they spend a certain amount of time with their partner. I have a, a friend who, who um, does that on their dog walk in the morning. They walk their dogs and they, and they talk about what they're planning to do that day and make sure that they're both on the same page. There are lots of different ways you can do it, but it's useful. So they kind of use their partner as an accountability buddy. No. No? No. Okay. <laughs> That's the not opposite. opposite. So, sorry, maybe I'm not communicating clearly here. No, you don't want the partner to be the accountability buddy. You want to be coordinating as equals. And so accountability, so the, non, the non-ADD partners or the more organized ADD partners are too often too accountable. They're, they're the ones that are sort of checking the box. Yes, you did this. No, you didn't do this, whatever. It's so, so the, the meeting or the whatever you want to call it, the get together, the coordination meeting, that's the accountability uh, factor. And each of you is accountable to the meeting. Right? It's not just the ADHD partner who's accountable to, you know, saying, yep, did that, did that, did that. Oops, didn't do that, but here's my plan. Both partners are accountable to it. And both partners are responsible for saying this week, these are the most important things to me that I'm going to be doing. So it's a little bit different from being an accountability buddy. I probably just used the wrong word because I, I kind of feel like I do this with my husband where, you know, in the morning I'll say, okay, these are the things that I want to get done. He's got his things that he wants to get done. And it helps me to kind of get it done because, you know, I've said I'm going to do it. So I want to confirm that I did it. Yeah, that's fine. And you're using him to do that because you're doing it on a daily basis or whatever. And he's, and he's fine to go along with it. And he's coordinating. It's coordination. You want to move away from, if he was saying to you, you need to do these following three things, that's not coordination anymore. So the fact that you're each bringing your own stuff to the meeting and just making sure that there's not some uh, mismatch, you know, like, oh, no, wait, Johnny's got a soccer game. (laughs) You can't Mm -hmm. do that then. You know, that's, that's a coordination meeting. Right. Okay. So that leads me to, I'd like you to comment or, you know, just... What do you think? So with my ADHD women, I often see poor self-esteem. So, you know, women who'll say things to me like, he won't allow this, speaking, you know, about their spouse. So they're basically acting like a child rather than an equal partner. And they then believe that they're a failure because they're bad at fulfilling these roles that they also believe are the women's responsibility. So they're responsible for the executive functions of the entire family. They take care of the home, the finances, the children, and they're the ones with ADHD. Can you speak to that? Yeah. And, and actually, so poor self-esteem is a characteristic of ADHD for men and women. Um, and it's understandable because they have grown up with a lot of people saying, you know, if you only tried harder, you could do so much better and variations thereof, even when the con- when the critiques are meant to be helpful um, and inspiring, they're still critiques. Um, and women are in this horrible double bind, women with ADHD, because a lot of the things that our society expects of women have to do with executive function skills, um, all the things that you listed being good examples, um, as well as 
uh, emotional regulation and uh, direction for children and families and, and other things. And so the, the critiquing that comes from other partners, uh, men or women, of, of women with ADHD is particularly hurtful because it hits at what um, is expected. Women in the United States regardless of the employment status of their partners, if their partners are male, I'm talking about heterosexual couples now, take the bulk of the responsibility. Um, And uh, it's a sad part of our culture, but it puts an intense amount of pressure on those women. There are some people who who specialize in, um, and you've probably actually had them on your show, um, in um, thinking about and working with women who have ADHD, including Sari Solden and Linda Rogley and Kathleen Nadeau. All three of them are particularly vocal about um, the needs and pressures on women with ADHD. And poor self-esteem is, a, is an issue. And it's hard to um, improve that if you have a partner who's constantly saying, I, I mean, I hear from men regularly, um, you know, I come home and I have, and the house is a mess and dinner's not on the table and I have no idea what my partner did all day. And all I can think of is that's like on steroids of, a reg, of, of many relationships that have no ADD in them. Like yeah. Taking care of kids, if that's what you're doing, which is in these cases the case, takes a ton of time and energy. And yeah, it's not always neat and clean and everything else. And, and nor should it be, particularly if both of you are working. And somehow we haven't, any of us managed to get out of this, or I shouldn't say any of us, but many of us have not managed to get out of this pattern. It makes me crazy. Well, and I think it's also responsible for the fact that um, ADHD women struggle so much more with ADHD than men do. Well, but I think that's partially the social construct. Yeah, no, that's exactly. Um, I don't know. What I haven't seen. About. I haven't seen anything that says that they have ADHD more severely. No, no, no. Um, that's exactly. Yeah. What. Yeah, it's a, and the social construct is is really hard. I will say though that I have also watched a number of women with ADHD become really empowered once they started working on the relationship issues because once they have a more accommodating partner um, who understands the impact of those critiques and starts to back off, um, then you can you, then there's a lot more opportunity to go. Wow, you know what? Okay, so I, my brain works differently. I have different strengths, but there's still a lot here. And look at all that I've done. So it's um, it is helpful for everybody to understand the role of ADHD, adult ADHD, in relationships, but particularly for women to be able to start to stand up for themselves. I in any couple, when the ADHD partner starts to stand up for themselves, I know they're making progress which is interesting <laughs> when they start to say, no, you know what, actually, I'm not all that interested in doing that. Or, hey, you know, this is part of this is part of me that I really treasure. I'm not really willing to give up this part of me, but I am understanding that, you know, I, I should be on time more or that I should be, you know, more organized. But no, I'm actually, I like the fact that I'm outspoken or that I'm, um, you know, artsy or crazy or creative or whatever you seem to be labeling me with. Yeah. So thank you so much for this, Melissa. I was so attracted to your system and your methods because they're strength-focused. You know, you're realistic, but you're also optimistic. As you mentioned, you provide hope. And I think that's what those of us with ADHD in all these relationships, you know, we need to have. And one of the things that 
I haven't seen addressed anywhere is this idea that it's the non-ADHD spouse that's critical. And I'm going to tell a little bit about myself here, but I feel like I'm the ADHD spouse and I am the one that's critical because I can see all these things, you know, the fingerprints everywhere and the mess and the, that my husband just, he doesn't see. And he's like, you know, why are you making such a big deal about this? And I'm wondering, is that something that's fairly common with um, people with ADHD where they're the ones that are critical? Are you critical of yourself or of the environment around you? Probably both, but it's more, I literally have to force myself to pause, to not shoot my mouth off because does it really matter? You know, my, my goal is always, are you looking for connection? Or are you looking for power? But I know my mom was like that too, or is yeah. like that too. So I don't know how much is learned. I don't know how much is ADHD. I, I'm just curious if, if you see this. Yeah, I think that there there's probably a family of origin thing. You mentioned your mom. There's probably also a gender issue there in terms of your wanting things to be a certain way. Um, sometimes people feel that way because they they you know they have an, uh, an environment they want their environment to be a certain way. I've run into people with ADHD who find that they really can't think straight if they have a messy environment. That's me. Uh, and then there are lots of yeah, and so. So there may be a you know a coping strategy in there. I mean, every couple is different. Um, you run in, which is part of why my work is so interesting. You have these patterns which are largely universal, but then you have um, really highly organized people with ADHD because that's their coping strategy, and then you have people who are really laid back and you know completely messy uh, and and everything in between. So it sounds like that's a a preference for you that is. That you're correctly, I think, or um, in a healthy way, asking yourself, like, okay, wait, hold on, what's the priority here, and why is this important to me, and do I, you know, what will it do to my connection, and uh, how do I balance that out? Um, is in this situation, is the connection more important, or is the organization more important? And sometimes the organization is more important. I mean, I'll give you a simple example around children's safety: buckling up seatbelts. Uh, for kids, right? Uh, to me, that's actually more important than the relationship yeah. issues and the connection, right? Um, those kids can't defend themselves and you got to buckle them in right. So every situation you're sort of making that, you're ask, you should be asking that question. And part of that, if your husband doesn't see it and doesn't care, then there is probably a way for you to get the kind of organization that you want um, without having to be critical to get it. And that's the trick is to figure out what that looks like for you. Hmm. Okay. So a conversation around how this really stresses me out. <laughs> Not just a conversation, but I am a big believer in systems. Ah. So, so there are things that you can do to keep an, a space organized that make it easier and simpler and less time consuming. And sometimes it's a matter of, you know, for example, I'm going to make this up now. But if you said to your partner, look, it's really important to have the main living space of the house and the kitchen clean, because that is really literally part of what makes me comfortable in my own home. And I'd really, it would feel very loving to me if you were able to help with that more than you are. And I know you don't see it and I love you for it. It's great that you're that relaxed. <laughs> um, but this is really a very important thing for me. 
And at that point, your husband could, even if he doesn't see it and therefore doesn't take it on every day in his, you know, as a matter of course, he could, for example, leave a little note next to his bathroom mirror that said, you know, have you, is the kitchen clean or is the downstairs clean or whatever? And then go back downstairs as, you know, he comes to bed, he sees the note, he goes, oh, wait, you know what? I left all my stuff out on the dining room table, go down, clean it up. And, and that's an act of love for you. So there's a system there that he's created, a reminder system that acknowledges that he doesn't see it. It's not really in his wheelhouse, but that being responsible for it would add to the connection in the relationship and f- make you feel more supported. You know, I love this because what I've been doing is just talking about it or nitpicking about it or being critical about it. And what you're saying is, no. And I I always, I teach this. It's all about action. And action would be an actual system that we agree to, you know, on these specific things. So here's the thing, right? He has every right to say to you, no, I'm just not interested in it at all. Why don't you get somebody else to do it, right? And that's his right as well. This is part of being partners. You won't always convince somebody that your needs are that important. But if he is willing to say, you know what, I totally get that. I'm empathetic or compassionate or whatever the right word is, and I want to help out, that's when you create the system. Now, the system won't work if he's not bought into it. But if he is bought into it, then a system is really helpful. And there are lots of things, you know, bins that are transparent so you can see what's inside, having less stuff, fewer dishes, whatever the things are, just to make things uh, easier to keep clean, special nooks, an office for your work stuff so you can leave it out and close the door, whatever it is. It's not even those things. And that's why I feel so guilty because he is so amazing about meeting me way over 50% for all the stuff that I just hate to do. And so it's these little things that, you know, I'm just like, okay, you're ridiculous. Just go do it yourself. Just stop. (laughs) But well, and that might also be, I mean, (laughs) if he is contributing a lot, that might Uh also be maybe maybe you need to be thinking in terms of something that will make you feel better about about it, like uh, you know, a gratitude journal or something that reminds you of all the amazing things. Those fingerprints aren't gonna be there, right? Yeah. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I don't want, you don't want to look, you don't want to be morbid about the whole thing. But, but uh, I fixated you know. on that since I was a kid, like just so fearful, yeah. you know, that, yeah. So I'm just, you know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you are so bossy. Just stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's something that you could, that you could work on. Um, again, maybe some mindfulness or something where you learn what that voice sounds like in your head and, Uh and then you talk to it literally or, or inside yourself and says, wait, I, do I want to be this person? Does this align with my values? Why am I doing this? And, and figure out how to interrupt that voice. Yep. Yeah. I, I love the action. I love the systems. I love the asking myself questions. I remember reading that somewhere about, I don't know, and probably, you know, some magazine when I had young kids and that how much you're going to miss the mess. You know, you might be in the middle of it now and it might drive you crazy, but at some point you're going to miss the mess. And now that both my kids are away, I'm like, I miss the mess. I want the noise. I want the mess. And so I need to apply that to my husband too. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. By the way, and, oh, and invite them back. They'll be happy to mess things up again. <laughs> oh, they just all laughed. And trust me, <laughs> first thing I said to my husband is, oh my gosh, things are so much neater when they're not here. <laughs> but, I, yeah, but of course, you know. Pros and cons, but uh, yeah. Absolutely. So it, well, it's right. I mean, you can apply that to the same, the same thing. It's not necessarily you'll miss him, but just how lucky you are yes. to have him in your life. And, uh, and you know, who gets, I sometimes say not so cynically, actually, who appointed me queen? Why does it always get to be my way? Right? I know. Isn't that so true? Absolutely. So Melissa, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Well, so the thing that I think is probably most relevant for folks who are listening is my couples seminar, um, which I give, it's an eight week seminar that I give by zoom and, it's pretty intense, but it is uh, quite good. It really helps couples understand what's going on and um, the specific strategies that they can use to address issues that they've got. Um, and uh, I give it three times a year. So, so uh, how long? It, how long? It, eight weeks, and it's an hour and a half each, or an hour and forty minutes, something like that, when I give it each each session. And is this the kind of thing that it's so riveting that people who struggle to pay attention on Zoom are just all in? Yes and no. Uh, but the information, well, I will tell you that it is hard. I, since it's on Zoom and since I can't see anybody because it's on, you know, I'm, I'm the one that they can see. I'm giving a lecture, essentially. It's an hour lecture and then it's 45 minutes of live Q&A. So listening to this gives you a sense of the kinds of things. You know, people get to ask their questions. Yeah. Which is great. I will say that uh, I encourage people to do jumping jacks, to stretch, to walk <laughs> around, whatever they need to do. And sometimes people, I, I record each session, so sometimes people will say, okay, I'm going to listen to the first half an hour or 45 minutes, and then when I start to lose my focus, I'll listen to the rest of it on the recording later in the week or whatever. But I get a lot of very, very positive feedback on the seminar. I bet you do. So where can people find that? My website, which uh, has a ton of stuff on it for couples impacted by ADHD, um, is, is at ADHDmarriage.com. And I also I have other offerings as well. I have support groups and some other things as well. Wonderful. So this is all going to be in the show notes. But again, can you repeat the URL? Yes, www.ADHDmarriage.com. Perfect. Melissa, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. It was delightful. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed myself and thank you for inviting me to join you. Absolutely. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Melissa, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. I'm stumbling all over my words. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. One more thing, we are going to be running our entirely free five days to fall in love with your ADHD brain master series beginning on October 11th. And you can sign up at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash I love my brain. Until next time, bye-bye. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women 
who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.